Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I am your host, Phil Iscove, and with us today, we have Emmy Willis, uh, past and future guest, I'm sure. Uh, she was on for Freaks and Geeks episode. I can't oh, remember which guess, one it was. Yeah, it was... Doesn't matter. It was great. Yep. Everyone loved it. Yep. And more of that. Big fan. Big fan. <laughs> uh, Abby Willis, who wrote on She-Ra and is now currently on Star Trek Lower Decks. Yes. Coming and this fall, 2020. Really? TV. Do we know that for a fact? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay. been announced. Oh, great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Look forward to it. And Sean Bennett, uh, also a writer in his own Hi, right. Hi, everyone. <laughs> That is the voice of Sean Bennett. Hello. Uh, he worked on Elementary and on... Uh, yeah, most recently I wrote an uh, Untitled Walking Dead game for uh, Very Skybound exciting. Entertainment. Do you have um, any idea when that's going to see the light of day? Mm, no. no <laughs> I wish you could Absolutely. see Sean, Sean's face. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is someday be, it will happen, though. Yeah, be great. No. Uh, I feel like uh, people are going to lose a lot of my weird non-verbals. But <laughs> I feel like uh, 50% of my Non-verbals? Is that the name of your book? Um, gosh, if only. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about Trekkies today. Um, everyone's favorite documentary about Trekkers or Trekkies. How do you guys do you? I, I Trekker sounds weird to me. It does. Right? I, the part where Catherine, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kate Mulgrew was talking mm-hmm. about the difference between Trekkies and Trekkers. Yeah. I was and like, how she Trekkers, thought about it. Oh my God. How it was a verb and <laughs> yeah, it was action. To to forward. Be yeah. With us. And a Trekkie I, was a very passive word. I admired how much thought she put into it. <laughs> like my only experience with it was when I was buying, uh, Star Trek action figures one day at like a department store in Connecticut when I was, you know, however old. And <laughs> it was the only time 
time ever the checkout person just decided to like i don't know make a bit about it and they said like are you a tricky or a trekker oh which uh, do you prefer and i was just remember sitting there like holding out my money like please sir. Like, <laughs> yeah exactly like, <laughs> please, yeah, like yeah it's a weird that trekker i don't feel like i hear that very often no no not it's, at all. it's pretty it's pretty infrequent yeah uh, it's like also Trekkies. why this was not called trekkers for exactly right. yeah um but yeah it's so i saw this documentary in um in actually ernie can you turn me up just a touch sorry oh. yeah um, so, uh, this came out in 99, although there's, it's a weird thing. Cause there's people saying it came out in 97 in some versions of the internet, which I don't completely understand. I think it was, per, it premiered in 1997. But then was released in theaters in 99. Yes. All right. So that's where we're going with. That's why we're talking about it on this podcast. Um, I remember seeing it in 99 and, uh, thinking to myself, these people are deeply strange. And and part of it was because I think at the time, first and foremost, and this is sort of I, I spoke to you guys about this before, but I want to talk about sort of fandom on, on the macro to a certain degree because mm-hmm. I think that this movie walks a very interesting line between love and not hate, but sort of making fun of these people. Certainly, and yes. and that's a that's a hard sort of you know, waters to charter to a certain degree. Well, it also feels like it's very easy to kind of look at Phantom and be like, look at these weirdos. Right. But now, you know, 20 some odd years later, right. that's the norm. And like, I have a ton of, you know, truck right. toys. Literally, sure, we sure, bought sure. a new truck toy Oh, congratulations. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. What'd thank you get? You. Uh, I was at Golden Apple Comics and they mm-hmm. had a bunch of vintage, like vintage, uh, like, you know, 1995 yeah. era Star Trek sure. toys. And I got, yeah, I know. And I got a wharf. Nice, nice. Yeah, my face. Worf looks so weird without the makeup. Is that weird he's for me to say? He's a very handsome man. He's an attractive yeah. man, but it's like seeing him without the the makeup just well, makes his face look. Yeah, and it's odd. the teeth too. It's yeah. not just yeah. the forehead and the hair. but yeah. it's the teeth that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Make a man and weird, and like I just think they're <laughs> like it's more. I always find it more jarring with uh, Worf, Michael Dorn, because I feel like with Lavar Burton, uh, Jordy, at least, like there's a lot of imagery of him without the visor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yes, yes, yes. In well, pop culture, Rainbow. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which was concurrent. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, like even though I've seen Michael Dorn without the Worf makeup, like watching it in the documentary, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. him. It's weird. And Brent mm-hmm. Spiner certainly. I mean, yeah. The- Spiner fans, guys. Oh, we will get there. That <laughs> we'll was- get there. Uh, we'll so, that. but but I just it's I think it's interesting that sort of it feels like the first documentary that I can remember that tries to explore a weird little corner of fandom or just uh, people that are very sort of fanatical about a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it does a relatively good job of it, but I can't help but feel like at times they certainly seem to be kind of like laughing at them a little bit yeah um it's also such a it's not just a corner of fandom like it's a very very narrow corner like it's the people who go to conventions it's the people who you know make their dentist's office a star trek shrine um so i think you know it it chose to go that niche Mm -hmm. and it could have chosen many different other niches to include in fandom Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things i was missing certainly was the fans and the fanatics who do go on to you know like like Barack Obama was yeah, a yeah. huge fan. Yeah. Stacey Abrams, huge yeah. fan. And, you know, uh, yeah. my boss, Mike McMahon, huge fan of Star Trek, made a Twitter account about Star Trek, mm. now writes a Star Trek. Um, yeah. And yeah. so I think it kind of, it chose to do the most, 
I don't know, like not base, but like the easiest way of making fun of fandom rather yeah. than saying fandom actually opens up a lot of possibilities for, for more people to pursue other things. Well, I guess my question, and perhaps you guys know the answer to this. I don't, but would, were the Star Trek conventions sort of the first convention of its kind in that capacity? Like did it, cause like I watch this and I'm like Comic-Con now. Is like mm-hmm. what it you know what I mean right. like it's it's so this was this a common thing I imagine there weren't many fan bases that had conventions like this I think, at the time yeah I think this is the first like primary like one thing fan base okay. that had conventions like this I won't pretend that I, I did not do the research I don't know I know Comic Con itself right, is pretty right, right. old um, right. I wouldn't be surprised if they start around the same time right. but like looking at this like just the way that and part of the thing that I guess like uh, I was. I thought was really cool watching this was remembering like, Oh, this is 1999. Like the internet web store sort of, you know, world wasn't really available yet. So for a lot of these people, this is the only place you could go to get star Trek stuff. And the way they're like, you know, trading like rare toys there. Like that's all on eBay. I mean, you can still do it in person, but you know, why would you? Well, it's Um, like, there's one guy. So the, the, the one kid that I guess we would say is sort of the protagonist of this movie, if there is one, Mm -hmm. Uh, at one point, someone asked him, like, how do you know this stuff? He's like, oh, I'm on the internet. Yeah. And he says it in a way that's just like, <laughs> like oh, that's so adorable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does feel like, uh, yeah, the internet brought your, your message groups and your, your various other sort of ways of bringing people together. But these people would get on planes and drive places to be with other fans mm-hmm. of this thing, which is – it's a really lovely thing, and I do think that Star Trek as a property or as a universe building, that feels in in tune with the property. The property was very sort of like intellectual, but also about sort of bringing people together. I mean, it really was sort of a uh, – it wasn't a particularly action-packed series when you really think about it. It's How very, dare you? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> the Dominion I, War? Those last 10 episodes of Deep Space Nine? That was an event. Yeah. Kirk and Spock fighting to the death. <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, in the sense that, like, it was it was a little bit more sort of. Uh, it felt well. Wasn't it about them going around the world trying to, or the universes, or what have you, talking to people and trying to like deal with things through talking, not through fighting? Wasn't that sort of like one of their big things? Oh yeah, it was, it was like all diplomatic. About, yes, yeah. 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 But there was my, still that, some action. There were bad guys who, you know, sure. Shot there were at your, them. your Klingons and your what was yeah. the other Romulans? Romulans. That's mm. what it was. Borg. Borg. Sure. The Ferengi. Sure. Um, we can keep going. I guess my point. The changelings. And, and we'll, we'll dispense with, with speaking of, of this new sort of iteration of Star Trek quickly, just because I don't think that it's necessary to go down that rabbit hole. But it does feel like one of the things that the new versions or the new movies at the very least were kind of dinged with was that JJ and co tried to infuse more Star Wars into this Star Trek and make it a lot more sort of action packed when as a series, it wasn't necessarily known for being that action oriented. That's not a ding against it. I actually think that's one of the things that makes it really interesting, but that's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah. I I mean, I think a lot of Star Trek episodes, at least like TNG, the next generation, you know, the most exciting moments were in the boardroom when, you know, Captain Picard would sit down and be like thoughts. Uh, and everyone would talk about their feelings and thoughts and talk about diplomacy. What a show this was, guys. Everybody makes a suggestion. (laughs) 
and the captain, you know, sort of grades them all. And it's what a usually, time to be alive. It's usually an incorporation. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I tweeted recently that, like, Star Trek is a lot of, like, competence porn, um, which in this year, 2020, is we just need. like, yeah, yeah really I mean, I, I found, like, it used, you know, it used to be, like, I'd come home from a hard day and watch The Office, and now I'll come home from a hard day and watch, like, six hours of Star Trek just to be like... It feels right. Yeah. Yeah, because there's so little of it in this world. Yeah, yeah, right level now. heads can prevail. But it's it's just that's sort of what I'm getting at that it was that it felt like a show for thinkers and I don't say that again in a derogatory sense in in either direction. I know that there are people that want action in their television shows or their movies and there's nothing wrong with that, but I also understand people that want to your point to watch a bunch of people in a boardroom talk about their feelings and mm-hmm. being competent, which in and of itself is special. Um I think that's why so many fans are it, I don't want to misspeak, but there is a certain fandom of Star Trek that is moms. It is a mom show. Mm. It is a show where, you know, someone's going to make some tea. Someone's going to make some coffee if they're Janeway. And uh, they're going to, you know, figure this problem out. And, uh, and yeah, they you, like Picard. So that's oh, a, that's I mean, a, moms love Picard. Is, yeah, my and mom loves Picard. My mom loves Picard, too. And <laughs> I love Picard. Right. Um, sure. I love Cisco. I love Janeway. Not, not a Kirk person. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm just going to get out of the way the synopsis of this, of this documentary, um, which is a little tricky to find. So for people that do want to watch it, I would either download it illegally through torrents, uh, or you can buy the DVDs for like six bucks, uh, or not even talking around it. Well, it's out there. They're making it difficult to watch this thing. So I'm not, but listen, you can buy it on Amazon. It's like six or $11 or something like that. There's ways to watch it and it's well worth watching. Um, the science fiction TV franchise Star Trek has had a seismic impact on the lives of the most obsessive fans. Known as Trekkies, these diehard devotees wear their Starfleet costumes in public, speak in Klingon, and even redecorate their offices and homes to mimic the look of the Star Trek world. In this documentary, former Star Trek actress Denise Crosby travels the country interviewing famous fans like Barbara Adams and exploring the reasons behind the show's enduring appeal. Uh, Trekkies opened in theaters on May 21st, 99 in a limited release. Basically made back its budget, which was around $300,000, but it became a kind of a pretty big cult hit on video and then they made a sequel which i have not seen so i don't know the sequel might be great hard to tell i think the sequel is more about the international uh, fandom which i'm actually kind of curious to watch too uh trekkies has 86 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics and 70 percent from audiences which i find interesting i'm surprised yeah i'm surprised that audiences were kind of shitty about it but uh ebert gave it three out of four stars uh you know critics seem to really like it um yeah so Here's a bigger question. And I don't, again, don't really have an answer, but I'd like to unpack this. Are these people out of their minds? No. No. How dare you? And I, 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 I also think it's like, I, there's, there's definitely some people in this thing. Okay. Let's talk about Barbara Adams for a second here. Hero. I, so Barbara Adams, for those who don't know, was a juror in the Whitewater scandal trial who wore her Starfleet Academy uniform every day cool. uh and and became a thing like it, people talked about this person and she you know there was i a can tri- see sean wants to correct you is it did i say it wrong she's not in the academy she's yeah. an, oh, officer. an officer i think she was a commander this. i think we're all we're all gonna <laughs> yeah. be like well isn't she a commander do they call her commander at like the kinkos that she works at? well yeah but thereby she's graduated the academy you know uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> She's wearing a Starfleet uniform of some sort. Phil yeah. has never wanted to strangle no, not more a, than that's in not that true. moment. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Uh, I, so I, the, I guess what I'm trying to get at is her logic within the documentary was 
that people don't make fun of people for wearing sports uniforms in public. Um, why should I be embarrassed to wear this? And, exactly. and that, that, that's yeah. but but then she goes one step farther and says, "Why shouldn't my fellow officers also wear?" So there's, I guess, my question is, uh, does Barbara Adams have the firmest grasp on reality? Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think yeah. the movie is definitely trying to, and I don't. Th- I'm like, not trying. I'm not just. Dis- I'm not disparaging her name. I just. I, oh no, I, I really. She seems great. I'm just, I want mm-hmm. to make sure that we're all on the same page on what I'm speaking about in terms of the lines of blurring yeah. reality well, and, and fiction. And I think one of the, I was going to say characters, but one of the, the fans, they, they make mention of how, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world and in a future where Star Trek and the, you know, the diplomatic ideals of the Federation and Starfleet were the blueprint for how we exist in the world and how we exist going forward. And isn't that mm-hmm. wonderful? And I think there that is great. an idealism mm-hmm. that's attached to some of this fandom, but, um, but yeah, it's certainly, you know, uh, people choose different things in this life. They choose to wear a Lakers uniform. They choose to wear a cross. They choose to wear a com badge. It's, it's, it's yeah, going a little further. Yeah, then. I'm, and again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not really disputing that point. It's when she tips mm. into this idea of it being real. Like the difference between loving Star Trek and those characters and loving a sports team is that one of those things exists in reality. The other doesn't. So that's where I get like, I, there, I listen, I love a whole bunch of fictional characters. (laughs) We all know that. Mm -hmm. And I wear t-shirts with their images on it all the time. Uh, But I don't think they're real. Like, I don't think that my fellow fans of that thing are, you know, yeah, but I, I think officers. to my point, it's more like it's it's holding on to this ideal of like, wouldn't it be nice if it was real? Right. Yeah, I think That's some nice. of it does have to do with like the ethos of Star Trek, which mm-hmm. is about like striving for ideals and accepting other people with all their differences. Right. I also think part of it, as I was watching this documentary, is just like back then, a lot of this stuff was more fringe. Like even stuff we'd have now. Like to your point, like yeah, I can wear like you know. Uh, x-men shirts walking around now in los angeles and it's fine but i remember like you know in like the late 90s yeah, even yeah. It, it, like my parents would just be like yeah yeah i mean like wear that shirt like to school with your friends but like don't wear it out other places you know <laughs> um and i think just the the climate was a little different totally. and i think as a sort of byproduct of that like the people who were diehard fans were maybe much more concentrated in that yes. fandom in like it was more of a badge of honor to wear and your starfleet uniform. badge of honor Oh, I like what you did there. Uh, I, I think there's also some, there's also something to be said too for, uh, I mean, we we live in a franchise universe now. I mean, mm-hmm. comic books yes. are commonplace. Uh, so being a fan of those things now is not something to be quote unquote ashamed of. If it ever it never was, but there was mm-hmm. a time when maybe it would have been a little bit more closeted about these things. So I get that, and that's why this movie is a little bit of a relic. I think that if you did this movie today, this movie would be. So different. Uh, completely yeah. different. These people would be, you know, canonized. <laughs> so it's 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 interesting to see how this industry has changed, but also how fandom has changed. And so I, I again, I I really wasn't trying to be disparaging. It's just yeah. trying to figure out. Th- this is a a 
odd assortment of people that they've put together in this movie for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm right. not sure that the documentarians are, are handling it with kid gloves necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sometimes not feel like they're sort of shining a light on people that might be slightly unstable. I, d- I don't. Oh, no, no. I'm not trying to like yeah, okay. correct or something. Like, I think part of it is also like, I'm, I would not be surprised if there was a documentary about like fandoms before this of a similar mm-hmm. focus. But I think this is one of a, like an, a very early look right. like deep dive into this and watching the documentary it kind of jumps from like area to area to area mm-hmm. of fandom and its impact so for that reason like i don't it left me thinking like it because it is uh, shifting focus so quickly you don't really get like a well-rounded look at so many things yeah so you just get to see like barbara adams walking into and out of mm-hmm. the courthouse in mm-hmm. you know her star trek outfit mm-hmm. um and it's like, oh, that's weird. You don't, but you know, like it was cool that with her, they then follow her to her workplace yeah. mm-hmm. and you see that her coworkers are all just super chill with it. Yeah, like yeah. it's become like an in-joke and some of them have even said like, well, yeah, I mean, I started watching Star Trek just so I can understand what Barbara's talking about. And they were all very mm-hmm. chill with her mm-hmm. um, in a way that like her introduction in the documentary maybe did not indicate. Uh, it made it look like she might be seen as like an outlier by everybody. Yeah, I really, I totally agree with you that that window into her work life helped sort of um i mean truthfully just make her feel like more of a person mm-hmm. and yeah. less of a uh an oddity that they were sort of you know pointing a camera at so i i, mm-hmm. I completely agree with that so the 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 main kid whose name unfortunately i don't know should i know this Brandon? person's name uh, i've got it written down one second uh, Sean took notes. gabriel kerner there we oh. go uh so gabriel um is introduced getting his uniform from mm-hmm. Who made his uniform? One of the uh, was it like his one of his friends or yeah. one of his like yeah. the mom of his friend or something like that? Yeah, it was a it was an acquaintance and uh, yeah, he was getting the brand new Starfleet uniform right. that had just recently debuted in Star Trek: First Contact, which he was wearing. T- I remember. I actually really like First Contact. Yeah, it's it's great, we should we should talk about uniform. the movies like what the best movies are yeah, yeah. at some point as oh, well. Yeah. But um, but he quickly starts to give notes. Yes, yes, <laughs> which I'm just like. And then he does it again when he gets the next exactly. uniform later. I mean, it's like, you gotta stop being so... I mean, not. this is a man who should learn how to sew himself. <laughs> correct, he has correct. so many thoughts um, on it. Correct. Well, like, yeah, and I, like, a lot of the cosplay stuff would be interesting to discuss because, like, looking at this, it's like, oh, yeah, so much of this is, like, a forebearer for cosplay culture. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I did find it, like, that odd endearing thing where he's like, thank you for doing it, um, but, like, these command rank, you know, yeah. uh, signs yeah. are way too thick. They're yeah, not this that is thick. too thick. It, and, it, this- and, like, I oddly found it kind of endearing that it's like, <laughs> oh, man, like, <laughs> you, yeah. like I, I get the passion, but also, like, just say thank you. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. There's also something interesting about the dynamic he has with his father oh which is really really sweet in the sense that the father is happy that he has a thing with his son like that they have a thing that they can do together which is Mm -hmm. that's 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 very nice i actually think that's a big thing about star trek is it's one of kind of the last shows that you could watch as a full family Mm -hmm. like 100 percent. you know it certainly got horny but it never got sexy uh, so <laughs> well, yeah, it, it got it got horny. We can and parse then, out that. Oh, it's like, I mean, we'll get to I it. Have thoughts, I we, have yeah, thoughts. Yeah, when we get and to Starbase Dental, there's some, the, there's some the the husband and wife there are a hundred percent cosplay. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, no, and like I think the documentary does a good job of like touching upon that, but similarly, <laughs> doesn't go quite so deep yeah. into it. Um, some of those drawings of 
data with uh, what's her face? Uh, Tasha Yar. Yeah, uh, my first ever crush. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Was she the? How did she die on the show? It was um, like a black. It was like a black, black goob. Yeah, it's okay, a black that, goo thing that, that, that is like you know uh, in a very sci-fi way. It's like the concentrated evil of a planet that like you know the people vacated and they just left their bad behind and it's this like <laughs> goo thing that just shoots Tasha Yar dead one day. It's- why did they kill her? Was there a reason? She actually had respiratory issues because oh. of all the fog that was used on uh. different planets. And because of her, they changed the fog. They changed how they hmm. did it on set. So she kind of, you know, was the sacrificial lamb yeah. of how they were doing production. But she Having comes- been on shows with atmosphere, yeah. as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, actors really hate it. It's unpleasant. <laughs> Just yeah. put that out there yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not they have respiratory issues or not, it is gross to inhale that for seven mm-hmm. hours a day or however long you're doing it. But, but I mean, they bring her <clears throat> back in kind of a spectacular fashion. Yeah. Has really she come cool. back? It's yesterday's Enterprise, and it's a really great episode. Uh, <laughs> it's like a parallel timeline story. Oh, and, that's then, and only Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg, knows that something is wrong and that Tasha Yar isn't supposed to exist in this world. Uh, that's pretty cool. It's really good. Yeah. It's and a then, great like, episode. you know, they really follow through on it in a way that's kind of admirable that, like, a, you know, like, network uh, syndicated TV mm-hmm. show would do back then in a way that feels very serialized now that, like, you know, her coming back into our timeline has, you know. It has consequences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Whoopi Goldberg, I loved the uh, uh, horror Michelle. story. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. It was really neat. That's, yeah. that's such a great thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. like, I, I think <clears throat> watching this documentary, I'm craving more of those fan stories. Yes. Of <clears throat> just what, like, norm, not normal is the wrong word, but I know like, what you're just what an average fan who is super passionate about mm-hmm. this stuff, but. Um, they needed felt, to pull yeah. more of those into it. It, it felt yeah. like everything was dialed up a little bit too much because they, because again, the most extreme it's a little fan, bit yeah. about, right. like, you know. But yeah, like, especially with the original cast members in the documentary, their personal interactions with fans, I thought mm. were some of the most just like beautiful parts of the documentary. Uh, like, totally. When James Dewan talks about getting the fan letter of someone, this woman who was like, thinking thinking about committing suicide and he just told her to meet him at the next convention and they did this for what he said like two years yeah. where he would just tell her i'm gonna be at this convention i want to see you that's there lovely and then she gets her master's degree in engineering mm, uh like that was really beautiful and like you know what was another beautiful story it was when the guy who played bones talked about that sexy photo yeah that i was, was about to say that the same was thing. weird that was I, bizarre i lost it divorce <laughs> kelly being d- dirty yeah Old man, I mean, ugh. yeah, not into it. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I to your point though, I mean, this documentary is 84 minutes long, mm-hmm. and and you know, brevity is probably for it's in the best interest of something of like of this. But I do feel like you probably had about 10 minutes of wiggle room where you could have injected a little bit more of a groundedness to it because mm-hmm. at times it just felt like there was a little bit of like, look at how kooky these fans are, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because yeah. I, to your point, with the obviously with that story of this woman dealing with you know, these these shows and these fandoms are. It can be a lifeline for a lot of people. You know, I, I I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I'm in a shitty headspace, I have shows that I put on that just make me feel better. Mm-hmm. It's just like they it's are – they're Star your Trek friends. And, and yeah. that's Star Trek for me you know, as well. So yeah. I totally get that. Um, no, yeah. And, like, that, again, goes with, like, it doesn't – it kind of jumps from topic to topic without yes. a natural progression. And yeah. it almost, like, I started wondering if they were going to go almost chronologically because they do a lot of the original series mm-hmm. cast at the, at the start. And then they just – kind of all I agree like yeah and I was curious if we'd be getting more stories like that and just how the fandom has progressed and how Mm -hmm. like a generation grew up with the original series and then brought their kids or their families Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. it and how the next generation affected people like that and how like these people that grew up started to affect not just like their families and friends through Star Trek but like the world around them Mm -hmm. Um, there's also just a lot of 
groundbreaking stuff that the show did in some of its casting. I mean, mm-hmm. in casting, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a, a black lead for, for Deep Space Nine and then for casting a woman. Like, these were all things that were a pretty big deal at the time, certainly within uh, within the, the Star Trek universe, but also just within television as a whole. And, and you don't really sense that either. Like, to your point, the, the, the spine of the series really should have been the spine of the documentary of sort of the, the the chronological history of what the show is capable of doing and and you don't really feel that yeah. like they right. don't really talk about Deep Space Nine really at all. Uh, no, they kind of just disregarded. My favorite, it. so I was kind of. I think it's I think it's a lot of people's favorites. Oh, yeah. Like it does yeah. feel like at the time people were like, wait, so the station just stays there the whole time, which yeah. is fine because adventure <laughs> comes to them. Yeah, I mean, I think time that was the tagline, right? Adventure yes. comes yeah. to us. Adventure comes to them. <laughs> I think time has been and will continue to be very kind to Deep Space Nine. Yes, um, yeah. But it was weird that in the documentary, it really just breezes right by, and even then the brief bit of filming Deep Space Nine they show yeah. is almost more focused on LeVar Burton directing it than it is yes. the actual filming of it because it you don't even get to talk to the cast members mm-hmm. there just is LeVar Burton talking about it um, and then they spent a, like a pretty fair amount of time with Voyager um, and like well with Janeway at the very least yeah exactly mm-hmm. and to your point I thought it was very cool when they did talk about like how a lot of like moms were bringing their kids into it just as like a strong female role model and everything like like i thought that was really cool yeah Um, i I mean and these are all things that i feel like they could have underlined a little better like they're all there and we were looking for it Mm. because we were trying to find Mm -hmm. a little bit more meat and substance to it well Um, and and back to like the history of the show there's also the history of star trek phantom mm -hmm. where i i'm going to I'm going to mince my words. Is that the phrase? Mince sure. my words? Sure. Mince my meat? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but fandom back in the 60s when the original series first started, fandom was responsible for keeping that show on the mm-hmm. air. Mm-hmm. There was a write-in campaign. Mm-hmm. There were you know these small conventions, mostly led by women, who were like, we really love this show and Star Trek lives and you know we want to keep the history of it and keep it on the air. And so it was a fan campaign at first. And then the fandom grew into these conventions where it was about the merchandise and selling things and meeting people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now it's kind of blossomed where the franchise itself is very much involved with the fandom in, you know, there's the Star Trek cruise that just docked in the Bahamas. (laughs) How many people have coronavirus on that that cruise? Um, But but now, you know, it's just kind of, I I guess I was wishing this documentary had kind of covered a little bit more of that history and the changing of fandom over the years you you kind of almost want a trekkies three for being completely honest where we can kind of i mean as you know you're a part of this this new sort of Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it i went to my first star trek las vegas convention last fall that sounds incredible it was but this is sort of i i just i I think it'd be interesting for someone to explore this fandom now Mm -hmm. as it's evolved as it's changed as this ip has continued to evolve and change and as fandom just in general has changed uh i think it'd be interesting to sort of to do that but Mm -hmm. i mean who knows and then they can talk about um What's his face? Why can't I think of his name? From uh, Quantum Leap, Scott Bakula as a oh, yeah. an Enterprise Captain oh, yeah. Archer. Mm-hmm. He had That's a dog. A show that doesn't really he had a dog exist, right, guys? Can we? Hmm? We can. That show doesn't really exist, right? I mean, it does. It does. It does. But it doesn't. Does anyone talk about Enterprise? Uh, they talk about the, the, the theme, theme song. song. <laughs> Apparently, if you, <laughs> I've actually been doing this because there's that whole like sing happy birthday while you wash your hands uh-huh. um, to avoid coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, someone, or it's the end of the world as we know it. Yes. Uh, someone realized that you can sing the first half of the theme to Star Trek Enterprise and. Uh, We're all ears. Uh, 
It's been a long road getting from here to there. <laughs> it's been a long time. Wait, there's there are lyrics? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's the only uh, Star Trek theme song that has lyrics. It's like a pop rock song kind yep. of. Oh boy, I didn't know um, that. Oh, but yeah. weirdly, recently, like, what was this? A few days ago, we saw on Twitter someone put that over the Deep Space Nine opening, and it actually kind of works there. <laughs> yeah. um, I just remember that show feeling a little bit like uh, I don't know what the best way to. It felt like the series had sort of moved on mm-hmm. and that people didn't really care as much about Star Trek as they used to. And this was like one more one, you know, attempt to kind yeah. of get people to care. And it, it didn't so much work. It was one of those things too, where it was Star Trek, uh, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager was all syndicated and Enterprise was kind of the return, right? It was it on UPN. Yeah. Right. It was on UPN, right? Yeah. But it kind of felt like more like, UPN, the channel of Buffy and all the cool kids mm-hmm. are watching this. Yes, yeah. And then suddenly it was like, I was like, oh yeah, I love Star Trek. Oh, I'm going to be judged for loving this right. Star Trek. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, it also that. felt like they, they tried to be like, huh, this isn't your mama's Star Trek. You know? And, and I love, in a way I love that, my mama's Star that's Trek. That's the thing. I think uh, Star Trek is something that I think <laughs> is kind of resistant to mm-hmm. like trying to make it edgier or hardcore, quote unquote, in that like the earnestness is kind of the appeal, mm-hmm. at least to the people that, you know, it's... It, Star Trek is maybe never going to have the broadest appeal. Yeah. Um, I think it did have a more broad appeal than we might have like understood in the 90s. Yes. Um, Those movies were big. Yeah, they yeah. were pretty big. Yeah. And like I remember – it's funny. Like I took for granted I guess when I was a kid and it just like watching this documentary made me realize like I was a pretty big Trekkie in elementary school. And like my friends were kind of on board. You know, like right, I, right, right. I would go to comic book stores with my friends and buy like Star Trek action figures and my friends would just like do it with me. And there wasn't like really – the same sort of stigma, mm-hmm. um, at least among kids, even though I think there's this prevailing notion that like, you know, Star Trek of all the fandoms is kind of like you're the nerdiest, you know, you mm-hmm. are you are the most socially awkward. But I, I think some of that goes back to like the stuff we see in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Like that was for just sure. a perception for a very long time. How did you guys uh, c- how did Star Trek come into your lives? My uh, mom. Yeah, my uh, I watched the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's so weird. Okay. Uh, no, it was it was it was Your you know my parents uh, mostly my mom uh, loved TNG mm-hmm. loved Deep Space Nine when we were living in Saudi Arabia. My uncle, who was also a big fan, uh, he would record uh, tapes of them uh, okay. and send them to us so that we had so the movies to or watch. mostly the shows mostly the shows okay yeah because I vaguely remember. Um, for me, anyway, they were movies that I think they were safe for kids to watch because yes. there wasn't anything in them that was particularly gory or scary. They're basically kind of Star Warsy in in that respect. Yeah. Um, I remember my mom taking me to see Voyage Home. That was probably one of the mm-hmm. first movies that Great I saw. Movie. Great movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, whales, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on TNG. Similarly, like my parents watched it, and it was a it was like a very family. Okay. It was it was our family show. Um, Same with the movies, or mostly the show. I was about to say the movies also. Like I got into the movies through that. Okay. Um, and like I think yeah, the Voyage Home was the first one I saw. And it was kind of like a thing that unified the entire family. Like, <laughs> despite all of our varied tastes, we could always watch Star Trek the show and the voyage yeah. home was a really big thing. And similarly to your point, like, even though, uh, you know, it's like Star Trek, which is a little more adult than a lot of other uh-huh. sci-fi, like, um, in, in terms of just like, you know, it's a bit more heady and intellectual at times. Like, Voyage Home is a movie that I watched as a kid 
all the time and just thought was really funny. I haven't seen um, it in a long time, guys. Does it hold up? Oh, it does. Okay. It holds up great. Yeah. It but it's still great. an 80s movie, but yeah. Oh, it's absolutely an 80s movie. It's <laughs> also like the most, uh, it very much marches to the beat of its own drum amongst mm. all the Star Trek movies. Like it's very, yeah. you know, it um, at one point in the development, I believe it was supposed to star Eddie Murphy. Um, oh, because he was a big mm-hmm. Star Trek fan. And, it, you know, it's about them traveling back in time to San Francisco to uh-huh. save some humpback whales to bring to the future yeah. um, so they can save the world. You um, know, that obviously. Yeah, that, that old chestnut. <laughs> it's um, and I believe at one point it was uh, because Paramount was looking and they were like, well, Star Trek is a big franchise for us and mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop is a big franchise mm-hmm. for us. And I believe that was the genesis of, like, you know, sending the huh. crew of the Enterprise back in time. That's really it, – it's interesting – so this this feels like a good segue to talk about the movies for a bit because I do feel like the movies there's this weird theory that like the odd numbers mm-hmm. are bad the even numbers are good um, but I think Nemesis kind of sticks its thumb in the eye of that theory yeah Nemesis broke that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, at least for a little while but, which actually just going back to the documentary how funny it was that uh, the kid, uh, Gabriel yeah yeah Gabriel was making this movie called Star Trek Nemesis That's in funny. the documentary yeah. I also yeah. thought That's that funny. was another thing going That's, back like yeah. they, they kind of breeze by the fact that he's making a fan film and yeah. with friends and they're like I making know. these elaborate costumes and he's like designing these elaborate 3D models of ships in there and, and I was like this is so incredible. cool yeah. yeah and they breeze past exactly yeah, yeah. they breeze past a lot of stuff in yes this. um but but Listen, that we want being, a six-part hbo documentary series on i this. would be there for yeah what, why why isn't that happening <laughs> one, one episode all about mistress janeway and the oh, uh the tasha yard data um erotic fan art. fan art that those pictures were i mean to be fair we got some some ichabod and abby art sent our way <laughs> what so was like, the I, name it was it could be it could be um it it got weird mm-hmm. like it definitely you were just like i get it you want these two to bone like Anyway, but uh, so the first movie kind of not good, right? Just, I enjoy it. Oh, uh, yeah. Star Trek, the motion picture. <laughs> yes, the motion picture. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's an acquired taste. It's it extraordinarily is. slow. It's not it's so much really gorgeous. boring. It is gorgeous. It's pretty to look though. at. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting that like, you know, the movie happened because they looked at Star Wars, which was recently such a big success. And then in 2001, right? Yeah. 2001 before. But I think it's interesting that like they make this movie not that long after Star Wars. And instead of going after that trends, they're Mm -hmm. like, nah, we're going to slow that shit down. We're going to slow that shit down. (laughs) Put in a weird synth score. (laughs) Spock is going to go through a black hole sort of, but not really. And like, he just does have like the wormhole moment from 2001. And then Spock comes out, you know, and Spock spends the first half the movie like away from starfleet and on a vision quest and you know uh, is there a villain in it i don't even really remember well it's it's viger yeah which is it's voyager it's all oh. it has to do with like the oh, the carl okay. sagan okay. yeah <laughs> no, the, the villain quote it's not really a villain but it's like this massive entity that's sort of like a big cloud of space garbage and stuff that is destroying right. everything in its path and you find out trying to find its maker trying to find its maker and it's coming back towards earth which is why the enterprise is tasked to intercept it and what you find out is that the voyager probe in the what like 300 years since it was sent mm. out gained sentience somewhere in the universe and is just kind of confused looking to get back to its creators um it's really fascinating what's it's, amazing is that could actually happen yeah here's here's the, here's the thing that i think is because i'm sort of just kind of going through the series in my head a little bit and just thinking about how the movies that tend tended to work mm. had a villain mm-hmm. like a yes person mm-hmm. or an alien of some sort well first contact i mean it's borg borg queen but mm-hmm. it's kind of still a little bit of that nebulous a little bit but yeah. that's still like the the my my point is that mm-hmm. it gets 
it gets witchy when it gets a little bit ambiguous and intangible, mm. like cloud of space garbage coming to right. kill Earth, or even in Search for Spock, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, what I don't know what that I know what that movie's about, literally, but like yeah. it's, it's it's in the title. It's in the title. <laughs> Spoiler: They yeah. find him, <laughs> but like it's whereas like Khan, which is held up as 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 the best mm-hmm. or one of the best, yeah. has like. A villain, and we understand it, mm-hmm. and or a tactile mission of some sort that makes sense. It's when they get a little too heady that I feel like sometimes they lose people, mm-hmm. and those movies tend to be less exa- like the Final Frontier. I don't know what the fuck's going on in the Final <laughs> Frontier. Oh, it's it's rough. It's God is it God? It's it's yeah. sort of God. What does God need with a starship? Um, it's you can really do a better impression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Not on the spot, but it's, um, but you understand what I'm getting at, right? Like that's why it oh, feels yeah. like it ping pongs between these two ideas. Of, it's got a great, it's got a pretty great rogues gallery of like people to go up against when you think about it. Yeah, I, I'd say to your point, yeah, the, the, it's maybe less like a specific villain and more like a more mission specific, right, like right. driven and focused thing. Because like the voyage home doesn't really, have, you know, there's no villain in it. Um, I mean the the probe is right. like, but it's just a thing that's destroying the Earth in the future. But people just um, like seeing them on Earth because it was funny. No, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> just yeah. like, oh look. But yeah, to your point, he has like, to cover his ears because yeah. they're pointy. Look, there's yeah. bikers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, and then like, yeah, Star Trek 2 obviously has Khan. Star Trek 6 has like this amazing Christopher Plummer performance. Fantastic, fantastic. Like, it's yeah. so cool. That movie is one of the more underrated ones. I feel like yeah. that's a movie that people don't give, in the series anyway, don't give enough love. Uh, I think it's like, it's got its like strong fans. It's also telling that that's the one that Nick Meyer came back for in full. Mm-hmm. Nick Meyer who wrote and directed The Wrath of Khan. Right. Um, it also, I remember I saw that in the theater. I remember mm-hmm. all that... Um, weightlessness purple blood stuff oh, that's great. is awesome mm-hmm. the morphing stuff too that they mm-hmm. did like it was it was a, it was a like surprisingly cool movie yeah uh and then is first contact the only good one with the next generation cast yeah <laughs> like generations so resigned. yeah generations should be really good it has um, malcolm Oh, yeah, Malcolm does. McDowell is the bad guy. Like the TNG cast is so good. They like are, they are yeah. just very effortless together. Yeah. Um, and like you get, you know, Captain Kirk and yeah. uh, Captain Picard together should be a really great moment. Like I remember as a kid, like just watching. This is like when I was getting into real like movie fandom and like mm-hmm. seeing on Entertainment Tonight like clips of William yeah. Shatner and Patrick Stewart together, and it just being like a moment yeah. and me losing my mind. And then you and see also the movie. don't forget we get uh, Succession Zone. Alan Ruck. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah he's the he's captain. captain of the Enterprise B, right? Is, I think yeah. he was in Ferris Bueller before he was in was Succession. He? Mm. he was also the star of The Exorcist on Fox <laughs> and Spin City. <laughs> and he's but, in Speed. Let's just keep is, going. Let's just keep talking about Alan yeah. Ruck. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is interesting what you're saying. That like I remember Generations. I remember <laughs> that being a moment. I remember the passing of the baton. I remember it being a big deal that Kirk died and his last words were not great, but mm-hmm. they are what they are. Uh, and and then First Contact comes out, which was a big deal. I remember that was a yeah. very successful movie. Mm-hmm. I remember they went they went all in with the Borg, which made total sense considering the series. And it worked. Yeah. Um, and then it stopped. Like, Insurrection, I don't remember anything about Insurrection. It's not very good. There's a really interesting book that um, Michael James Peller, Cromwell in Insurrection? Uh, is he the guy? Cromwell is Cromwell's, in uh, First Contact. Yeah, it's um, F. Murray Abraham's in it, yes. right? Right. As, like, yeah. a face-stretchy alien. Um, and it's the founder of Youth Planet. Yeah. Um, but that's the one that the Michael Pillar book is about, right? Radio yes. Insurrection? Yes. Yeah, like Michael Pillar, who for is basically like the 
showrunner that brought Next Generation back from the brink of when it was really bad in seasons okay. one and two, and then kind of set the template that begat the other shows. And like so many TV writers, like you know some hmm. of the guys on Elementary, like learned under his sort of model in the Star Trek shows. Um, he has a book that was never published, but you can find it online. Because his wife is like, I'd like his words to matter, even if Paramount wants to yeah. silence him. Yeah, he died not long after, so it's kind of like the last really the last uh, thing from Michael Piller. But it's this book, about, and it's a pretty like unfiltered look at like the writing of Star Trek Insurrection and how it started as one cool idea. And then it's like, well, you need to service all these masters. You need to service these actors, which by that point, like Patrick Stewart and I think Brent Spiner had a pretty considerable amount of say and how it hmm. goes um I, you know we can keep going i, I can no 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 yeah. i it's uh, it's i do think that it's i just i think it's a really fascinating series you know you yeah. have you have the the next generation movies you have nemesis which kind of puts a stake in it it feels yes. like that's sort of the end and then hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it came to be. I don't know how the 2009 J.J., uh, Bob and Alex, Damon Lindelof movie happened. But it infused an excitement in me and in obviously a fair amount of people that went to see that movie that this was a, this was a brand that was worth exploring again. Um, but then the second movie stumbles the con stuff just doesn't really work, at least in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff in it, but it also mm-hmm. just feels like they're kind of putting – it's kind of a kitchen sink movie. Like they put so much stuff into that yeah. and it doesn't all kind of jive with itself. And I think you know, the worst part about uh, the second – Into Darkness. Into Darkness is that it was filming at CIA where I worked. And That's so I went to see that movie and I was like, That's where I – can work all day and i don't, don't like, want to see it i on, don't like yeah. seeing my place of work in totally my entertainment fair. that's fair yeah. i remember when we were doing sleepy hollow i was writing an episode and i titled it into darkness and <laughs> they said no oh really um yeah so there uh it was i mean i was just being playful i wasn't shitting on their movie but mm-hmm. uh that being said uh I, I think that there's there's something to be said for sort of the um for the series and where it was sort of going and what they were doing. And I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in all of it. I think that beyond has some interesting stuff in it too. It just all kind of feels like it's ping ponging against each other and isn't fully coming into focus. But I'm curious to see if Paramount keeps going. Like what they do moving forward. Yeah, because they're due yeah, are, to they're, make another one, right? I mean, there's there's the Tarantino thing, which I heard that's is that done, dead? Right? Okay, I believe I don't that's know. done. Mm. And then there was talk of a Chris Hemsworth 
Chris Pine thing where mm-hmm. like they play with time and the father and son get to meet in some yeah. way or another but it was a I budgetary think, thing i think that it. one's also done and the yeah. noah hawley one is the one that's right yes so he's right now, he's but with perhaps a new cast yeah it's, it's anyone's guess yeah i mean yeah it's it's just so interesting too because like to your point when you look back at the arc of these movies there are so many high points and so many points that are kind of low and like like so much of star trek like the high points are kind of a response to the low points mm-hmm. like you know for example wrath of khan is like a really it's kind of a small movie you know it takes place like in the bridges of the two ships primarily sure. which are actually the same set just like moved around like mm-hmm. the panels were all moved around sure. um uh like ricardo montalban and william shatner weren't even there the same day it's just to say like it was a movie that was made kind of like on a shoestring budget yeah, relatively yeah. and it works and yeah. then the next time they try to go bigger and it doesn't work yeah, and then yeah. the time after that they, they try to yeah, yeah it's kind of like each, yeah, each movie yeah, each succeeding movie or successive movie is like a response to the one before it yeah. and you know it's kind of like that's yeah. why it's this weird like ping pong here's a question a, a next generation question um i'm ready could they just do a younger version of that cast well, I mean, the first episode of Next Generation is the crew assembling. All coming together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, then that doesn't work. Because no. there's just a part of me that was thinking, like, could you – because a lot of people feel like the 2009 movie is sort of like Muppet Baby Star Trek, which is <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. And I love Muppet Babies and I like that movie. Um, I now guess, I could want you... a Muppet Babies in space. God, I would – that would be so great. <laughs> Guys. Do you remember that Gonzo's an alien? Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Oh, well, great. Muppets go to space. Oh. Uh, I believe they do it in 1999, in fact. Oh. Oh, so wow. we will be covering cool. that. Cool. It's uh, I don't think it's one of the better Muppet movies, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. We're gonna we, we'll talk. You're about gonna it. find we're out. We're gonna find out. But yeah, to your point of like, if there's a younger a younger version, version of, of that cast, I wonder if there's something to be done with that. Yeah. Because to me, it's like if you can't get this cast and you're rebooting it all over again, it's a big cast and mm-hmm. it's a lot of roles to fill with, and it's tough to fill those roles. Um, is there a way to pivot? Is it a whole new thing? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder about that. And like newer Star Trek, especially like since 09, you find that it's very, uh, the new stuff is generally tethered to something of the old stuff. Like, you know, Discovery is sort of like set in a very specific place in the timeline or yeah. relation in relation to like yeah. the original series. Um, Picard is obviously, you know, set in relation to the next generation. And I think that's really interesting because at least in the nineties, like each new Star Trek show was very much its own thing and had like kind of a Mm -hmm. tangential at best relation to anything else. Like deep space nine is sort of born out of a storyline in the next generation, but then that's the end of it. And then deep space nine is its own thing. And like, and Voyager too has the storyline that sets it off, but it doesn't have anything to do with deep space after that. And the next generation, like the name of the ship is the same. And, uh, bones McCoy shows Mm -hmm. up in one of the early episodes as like a, what 130 year old Mm man. Um, (laughs) I'd actually, it's funny when you said earlier about how like, you know, con was made on a, on a shoestring budget. There's a part of me that kind of wants to see someone make a star Trek movie Mm -hmm. on $50 million. Yeah something like yeah. that like and i know that that's not a shoestring budget but i just mean like something that constricts it uh and and, and sort of puts it in a different headspace would be interesting i mm-hmm. like noah holly I, I think he's i think he's i love fargo um there was a lot of stuff in legion i thought was really interesting like i think he's a, a really interesting mm-hmm. guy um i'll be curious to see what he does with him but yeah. um so someone who does appear in this documentary uh, is uh brandon braga shows up in his leather jacket oh yeah. can we talk about the lamp <laughs> What was I didn't notice the lamp. The lamp is in the form of a naked woman's torso. 
And that is the lamp he chose to have as showrunner uh, in in his office. <laughs> he could have had showrunner. He could have had any yeah. lamp in the world, and that's the one he chose. Mm-hmm. Prominently that's- featured in his Talking Head segments. Yep. Yeah. I don't know Brandon Braga from Adam, but I'll say that <laughs> there is something about the way he comports himself a little bit in mm. this that is a little bit not great. Like there's a little bit of like looking down on the people that want to be on the show, mm-hmm. wearing his leather jacket with his lady torso behind him. There's a lot of a little bit of bravado going on, yeah. um, but it's interesting nonetheless to get a perspective of a person who's show running a Star Trek show at the time. Yeah. What that must've been like. Cause yeah. it's interesting. Cause Brian Fuller's talked about this as well. Cause he is first writing credit. I believe is on Voyager. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. He was a huge Star Trek fan. Is a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, and that th- you could submit scripts to Star Trek back in the day, right? Yeah. yeah it's a, how a Jean num- Espenson got her start. Crazy. Jean Espenson, yeah. Ron Moore, who mm-hmm. became like a major Star Trek writer and then obviously Battlestar Galactica. My old boss from elementary, Rob Doherty, oh, wow. came up through Voyager that way. Those were his first scripts. I was really surprised actually in the documentary that – they, you know, he, uh, Brandon Braga mentions this policy and then just goes into talking <laughs> yeah. about how some fan yeah. sends them a piece of mail every week yeah. when, like, it's a really cool thing. And a lot of, like, Huge. notable writers yeah. got their start because of blind submissions. Yeah. A lot of the, like, Yesterday's Enterprise, which we were just talking mm-hmm. about, was a blind submission, like, that then became one of the most notable episodes of Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I thought, like, he was a little derisive. Of it. He seemed dismissive of that, I guess, is the better way of putting it. Yes. Uh, which is a bummer. And I don't believe mm-hmm. any show can do that anymore like no, yeah. from, from from wga regulations being i don't what even they know are. if it's a wga I think, thing i or? think it's less a wga thing and it's more like it is a gigantic legal like you know okay. like vulnerability That's, okay fair enough um like yeah i, I don't okay. know mm-hmm. how it went for trek i don't know if they got sued a lot or anything but, but i mean but, back to fandom like yes. any of these people who are submitting these ideas and these scripts were fans first writers Correct. second yeah. and and just kind of like it, it it really didn't dive into what it means to especially for i mean the yeah. three of us too growing mm-hmm. up as fans of stuff and now writing like there is a path and uh unfortunately that wasn't explored in this documentary yeah it it's <laughs> It does feel like there were a lot of paths not taken mm-hmm. with this documentary. Um, part of it, I think, is because uh, it's a pretty big world to kind of wrap your arms around oh, the whole it's, thing. It's so broad, and there are like three or four more specific and focused angles you clearly could have taken. Right. Like, you know, one about the script submissions, one mm-hmm. about like the erotic fiction, you know, one about like yes, the, yes, yes. the merchandising, yeah. one about yeah. like people who walked around in cosplay all the time. Yeah. Um, well, that's why to your point, like I know you were kind of joking and kind of not about an HBO series that's, you know, six oh, or eight yeah. episodes long. You could break it into an episode of each thing and really be able to kind of hone in on what's so wonderful about this franchise mm-hmm. or quite mm-hmm. frankly, there's a lot of franchises you could do it with, but this one in particular, because yeah. of its straddling movies and television could be a lot more interesting to explore. But that idea of, you know, being a fan of the, sh- like I was not a fan of Star Trek to the same degree. So I would not have sat down and written a spec episode of Star Trek. It mm-hmm. would not have made sense for me to do that, but I gladly would have done it for like six feet under or the West wing or any nut or ER, any number mm-hmm. of shows that I loved when I was, you know, a teenager or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even in my early twenties, if I could have sat down and, and written an episode and sent it into a, into a show, I mean, that that's an yeah. unbelievable thing. Um, and it's a bummer that they don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But but it's interesting to have him talk about that a little bit. I don't I don't really know uh, Brandon's uh, trajectory, so I don't know how he got on the show. So I'm assuming it's not through this channel. But it's just uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I actually I can't remember how he joined. I, I yeah, just listened sure. to yeah. the 50 Year Mission, which if you want a real deep dive into Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, I bet that is two volumes. Each volume is about uh, 30 hours on Audible, mm-hmm. and it is fantastic. It is a great deep dive, but it's more it's less about fandom and more about right. the making of the, the series. Yeah. The yeah. fandom comes about when you get because it's all you know uh, talking heads. It's all right, you know bits from interviews and some of the writers talk about exactly what we've been talking about, how sure. they started as fans as kids and then they grew up and they found out you could write a story, you know, right, right, right. Um, so let's talk about spider fems for a second. Yes, please. Um, so spider fems for people who have not watched the documentary, there's a, a lady whose name, unfortunately I didn't catch. Maybe you did Sean. Um, but she, uh, apparently there are, I'm not convinced there are more than one. It seems singular to me. Yeah, I it's, couldn't find like a Reddit subreddit. <laughs> like, of, I don't know that there's any other Spiner yeah. Femmes. It feels like it's just her. Yeah, uh, she so really femme well, singular. Yes, I don't know. There were other people that did send Denise Crosby erotic <laughs> fan art of her of Tasha Yar this and is Lieutenant true. Commander Data um, in just true. a variety of positions that yeah. were just uh, wow. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it, it's so um, this lady um, shows. She's got binders filled with just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos of Brett Spiner yeah. at Brett or Brent? Brent. Brent. Binders in a locked safe she keeps in her closet, mind you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Of him at a bunch of different conventions, I'm assuming. I did love the one photo that was – she was like, and that's my back as I was presenting him <laughs> yeah. the gift of the Texas stamp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's from Texas? Because he's from Texas. And then it cuts to Brent Spiner and he says like, yeah, you know, I tell them they don't need to give me gifts. Like they should use their money elsewhere. I do okay. And then it cuts back to her and I wrote this down. She says like, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, it's like, it's about giving him, uh, Uh, like, I found that so fascinating. And yeah, like there was that one part of the binder where it's like it was a photo every second of well, the that's what channel, I was gonna say. Right? It, it like, literally could have been a fucking flip book like yeah. it's just him in various <laughs> positions you could, it was just crazy i did love when yeah. she went out to her balcony yes. and was talking about how that's the hill that he lives somewhere on uh and she couldn't see his specific mm-hmm. house but she could kind of imagine that it would be there mm-hmm. yeah, and that breaks brent breaks that's what she called it she that wanted to really take sad. a brent break as she was really holding sad. her crying child, child. <laughs> yeah i was just like lady damn you Oh boy. It's just sad. It makes me sad. She makes me a little bit sad. But it's like, I mean, we all have our fantasies. We all enjoy mm-hmm. things. Uh and it it's to varying degrees and this documentary shows a oh, very specific boy. degree. Yes, yeah, a very degree. specific degree. Yeah. Uh so yeah, she when she was asked about Trekkers or Trekkies, she's like, I think there's a negative connotation to both of those. I prefer Spiner fans. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, sh- sure. That, yeah. That's not a thing. Spiner fans. <laughs> I mean, by the way, it makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Um, but I mean, going back to yes, kind of the yes. money and stuff, there was that one moment where they had the auction for uh, the Klingon oh, yeah. uh, face piece. And I think it was like $1,600 that one Klingon mm-hmm. ended up paying yeah. for a prop and not a good prop in my opinion. Yeah, it yeah. was like latex that was clearly rotting. Yeah. But it was it was cool that like you could see the fans in the audience going back and forth in this auction yeah. and the one guy in full Klingon garb 
gets it and they go up to him afterwards and they ask and he says like i wouldn't have left without it like he was gonna pay <laughs> yeah. whatever yeah. it took yeah. um and i just thought like that was kind of cool even yeah. though it was like uh, you know that thing yeah. is gonna look just like a nondescript piece of rubber there was in like an six auction weeks. last summer for some of the deep space nine costumes and i was looking at it because i was just kind of curious how much some of this stuff went for and it was like quark's whole wardrobe and you know it was you know several hundred dollars and i was like but who and why because armin Shimmerman is a very specific height yeah. who's mm-hmm. going to fit into this are you going to put it on a mannequin is this something you put in your house as visitors walk yeah. by i, I like don't that's, know that's the thing people do like they'll buy notable costumes and just put them on mannequins and- is that what we're gonna do yeah probably oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a that's thing. Ernie back it's a thing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing people do, uh-huh, Emmy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Lots so, of people. Here, <laughs> it's true. Here's the thing. I because in my head I was sort of trying to work out like people that take props from shows they worked on mm-hmm. or shows that they created or whatever the case might be. There's a, a personal uh, attachment to that thing, whatever it is. And I can't necessarily say that it's drastically dissimilar to the attachment that a fan would have to that thing, um, other than the fact that they were a part of the actual production and this fan is sort of just projected, uh, and not wrongly, just a, an attachment to that thing. So I sort of understand it. I guess it depends on the props. Personally speaking, for me, like costumes and makeup stuff, I find kind of gross. Yeah. Just because <laughs> it's like people are like wearing them and sweating in them and like it, it's right. just kind of gross. Whereas like a physical prop of some sort, like for instance, I really – I really wanted to get the 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 head from Sleepy Hollow. Oh. Ultimately, I wasn't able to, but that doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> like, that's a thing that I'm like, yeah, that's a cool thing to put on your desk that I sort of understand. Um, a piece of of rotting latex that was on random Klingon's yeah. head for a scene to me is not worth that kind of money. But Teach their own. No, yeah, I mean, no, no judgment. And I, just, I think I mean, that goes back again to like, it was 1999, like genre material yeah, was yeah, not yeah. quite as ubiquitous and widespread. Yes, and like, this was like a huge thing and people grew up with it. So like, I can understand why, like, you know, in a, in an environment that's a little more dry for this mm-hmm. material, like that meant a lot to somebody, totally, you know, and like, totally. uh, you know, he's getting dressed up in Klingon garb, you know, to go hang out with his friends at a convention. I'm sure it's to cool. him, it doesn't even matter if in three weeks yeah. it just doesn't look like it was when he got it. Like, yeah. it's just knowing what it was. I agree with that. Um, so Starbase Dental. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually just went to my dentist right before we watched mm. this, and I am so thankful that it you is didn't. just a normal yeah. dentist office. Yeah. It, it but, makes me but, question the legitimacy of the dentistry. I mean, I found the Yelp review. Yes, I sent it I to know, you. I know. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like I've been going to a bunch of doctors for, like, check-ins and stuff, and every single doctor's office I do go to, they have weird art my podiatrist the guy who's helping my ankle like there's just a bunch of shoe art on the walls there's there's actual well, that's shoes on, that's on point yeah but it's like <laughs> it, it, but it, i feel like a lot of doctor's office no matter what they're just weird looking they well, put yeah. up a lot of weird stuff mm-hmm. and Den- so dentists and doctors generally speaking don't give a fuck yeah you know what i mean they they want the only thing that i care to see on their walls is their diplomas <laughs> i don't need to see anything else from starfleet academy yeah obviously yeah, yeah. Um, so Starfleet Dental or Starbase Dental, my apologies, mm-hmm. um, was fun to watch, would <laughs> never actually yeah. have them do anything to my teeth. Um, 
yeah, I'd like show up and buy floss. I wouldn't, you know, like, I would go. I would sure, check it sure, out. But sure. then, like, you know, the second they're like about to, you know, put me under to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Take out my wisdom teeth, it's like, too. oh, I gotta go. Gotta go. Yeah, yeah. There, there was that one standee of Dr. Bashir. <laughs> that was that amazing. Just was a weird yeah. look. Yep. Well, it was a yeah. weird look because it looks like he's in the back of the room taking notes. Yeah. Like he's a doctor, like, you know, inspecting so your weird. procedure. Yeah. Um, no, like, I'm trying to think of some of the other, like, well, the first time that there. we see them mm-hmm. is, as a, family. is as a family yeah. and, and the daughter oh. is not happy. No. About it. I want a follow-up interview <laughs> yeah. with her. <laughs> she was like, I fucking hate these people. <laughs> I can't believe they're making me wear this. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. She looked so despondent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She was clearly not into it. The husband <laughs> and wife even, they, but they talked about like how they yeah. would, uh, add on different roles yeah Yeah. how they would like switch up their costumes and and their personas and very specifically that she would be Data and he would be Tasha Uh yeah because she's too short it's weird it it was weird like the way that they even just eyed each other while in the uniforms and in the costumes while on camera they were I was just like (laughs) you're both way too thirsty for this right now like what's happening Uh, but I love them and Mm -hmm. I hope that they're happy um, I, 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 it is, it's a very strange also working that, environment. that one, the one woman who was like, I really didn't feel comfortable wearing the costume. And it took me over a year a of being berated by my boss to put on a Starfleet. He told me uniform. I had to. Yeah. I, she would cry. Wild. It's insane. Yeah. It's, I hope she has her own dental <laughs> practice now. That's just, I, I, do, I do too. Office. That's a, that's a real fucking dentist's yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's even just like, them interviewing the patients in the waiting room Mm -hmm. just like well they they interview the (laughs) dentist when he's like doing a procedure on somebody and i was like what the 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 hell is happening why in the world does that person even know like you know are they under do they not know this is happening like yeah i i didn't really know what to make of because there's some stuff that's just like set up right like that's a documentary and they're like we're gonna show up at your thing Mm -hmm. and like can we talk to your patients and will you sign a waiver to be like i get it but it still felt like weirdly stilted at times and the patients in particular in the waiting room where he comes out he's like hey come on in let's go (laughs) it it just it was kind of it was weird but i enjoyed it Uh, really just interesting stuff you know like uh, (laughs) really really interesting stuff well and like specifically because star trek has so many interesting teeth they never Mm -hmm. went into that very that's good, good point. point. That's that is a good point. It's yeah. a very good point. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Does, does, you, does do anybody you... go in there and ask to get like Klingon teeth? Yeah, oh, get some God. chiseled. Yeah, chiseled sharpened fangs. Oh yeah. Uh, Romulans and Klingons aesthetically, how different do they look? Because I don't wildly very uh, much that Romulan is more uh, Vulcan esque. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's his face from um, Nero? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Romulan? Eric, Romulan. Eric, yes. Bana Eric Bana. Eric Bana. In yeah. one of his hottest roles mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> uh, sure. Kind of a forgettable villain, but sure. Oh, no. He's fine. No, he's great. He's, he's fantastic. He's, he's, he's pretty cool. I stand for Eric Bana. I actually rewatched Troy the other day for really? him. He's great in it. I caught a little bit of Hulk last night on uh, HBO. I mean, Love Hulk, obviously. Great movie. Uh, that movie is edited psychotically <laughs> and i love every second of it oh yeah i want him back where did he go eric banna he was in uh, uh that, dirty john yeah right? he was in dirty john That's oh, oh yeah. okay he's a guy who's had such a weird career because weird like career within a few years he was in star trek mm-hmm. as nero as yeah. this like you know grunting hulking mm-hmm. villain um and then like right after that kind of, or maybe a few years later he was in funny people it's the same year 
Oh, was oh, the same wow. year? 2009. Oh, wow. Okay. Did 2009 came at you fast, <laughs> it's a, I guess. It's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird um, thing. But yeah, and like in that, he's basically like kind of himself because he has the Australian accent mm. and he's this like, you know, big, like, uh, just like energetic guy. Who's, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking up Eric Bana uh, for a second. He's really funny. Banna, too. Banna or Bana? I think it's Banna. Banna? I, I mispronounced it. Um, but he's just like, I don't know. There was an era where a lot of people were casting him as like a hot topic. Well, because he, so he comes interest. off of Chop. Which was a big movie where he played. uh, He plays some sort of an Australian Australian movie where he plays this like serial killer or something like that. Um, And then he gets Black Hawk Down, Mm, which kind of puts him on the map a little bit. Then he's the voice uh, in Finding Nemo. Who I believe he's the shark or one of the sharks. Oh, maybe. Uh, Then he gets Hulk, and everyone thinks like he's going to be the next big thing. He does Hulk Troy Munich. Oh, and you know what it is? It's the sex scene in Munich that destroys. Yeah, it's one of the problems. Gosh, don't give Spielberg sex scenes. I actually, well, I don't actually agree with that. Don't give uh, sweaty slow motion sex scenes to Spielberg. I thought the sexy. He's not a sexy filmmaker. Just to be very clear, but like, there's sex scenes weirdly in Schindler's List that are kind of fine. Just for what that's worth. I'm just not gonna, gonna, gonna follow up on that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, just I'm just. That was amazing. But I'm just saying he uh, can direct a, a normal sex scene. There's actually another sex scene in Munich that's fine. It's the last one that's yeah. the problem because well, it's cross it cut with the murders wrong. of the people, mm-hmm. and it's, it's wet. Weird. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not writing for the sex scene okay. in Munich. Uh, and then he does Lucky You. Do you remember that movie with Drew Barrymore that uh, what's his face directed? Um, uh, Curtis Hansen did. Sure. Anyway, that was a movie. That sounds like a thing that that happened. was a movie that happened. Okay. Uh, and then in '09, he has Star Trek and Funny People and Time Traveler's Wife all in the same year. And those are three very different movies. Yeah. And they're all good movies. Like yeah. I don't have a problem really with any of them. Time yeah. Traveler's Wife is fine, but whatever. Then he's in Hannah. Uh, yes, he's great in Hannah. Yeah. Uh, Lone Survivor. And then that's kind of that's kind of the end of it. That's bring John. Eric Bana back. Yeah, yeah. We miss you, Eric. <laughs> BBB. Yeah, <laughs> bring Bana back. Yep. Uh, Bana back. Uh, so yeah. So um, back to Star Trek. Back to Star Trek. <laughs> uh, here's a question, and this made me think of Galaxy Quest a little bit because mm-hmm. obviously Galaxy Quest is modeled after Star Trek, and mm-hmm. the Tim Allen character obviously is modeled after the Shatner character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think well, not even the Shatner character, just Shatner, Shatner. Shatner. Well, yeah. just Shatner, Shatner yeah. human being. Shatner's a, a a weird thing with Star Trek, if you ask me, because mm-hmm. there's a part of me that feels like he has a love for it because it obviously birthed his career and it's he is who he is because of Star Trek. But there's also a little bit of a touch or twinge of resentment that you feel a little bit toward. Not resentment might be the wrong word. Sort of this like looking down at some of the fans sometimes. Yeah, I. There's that famous quote from him at some convention where he's like, "You people need to get a life or something like that." Like <laughs> he's just. I wonder if that's also. I feel like in the last couple of years that maybe has waned, and he has started a little bit of like what Carrie Fisher would talk about with Princess Leia. Of like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate that you know all I'll be remembered for is Princess Leia, exactly. <laughs> but also kind of realizing that like that's they're so yeah. intertwined. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he he shows up to these conventions like he does one man. Mm-hmm you know, panels where he talks with the fans. He was on the cruise yeah. this past week. So he's still, oh, he's, yeah, oh, really? he's very deeply involved with fandom, but I think he's got to pay for that horse semen somehow. Ex- <laughs> have you heard about this? No, I have not somewhere. Yeah, I did. No, so I him not. and his wife, I guess there's some divorce that he's going through or something like that. And he was allowed to keep the horse semen that they have for, I guess, breeding horses. I'm assuming. Wow. So, 
that's uh the, it was worth it for the reaction that it got whoa. from that me but anyway yeah. Uh, it doesn't pay for itself. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, but like back on tech <laughs> because uh, yeah, I, no, 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 we, yeah. no, we need to go there. Just, um, yeah. No, like Shatner's a really interesting figure in the fandom too, because like yeah. in the, you get a little bit of it in this where it's like you see the original series cast yeah. all talking about their memories. You know, like George Takei talks about going to NASA with mm-hmm. Nichelle Nichols and you know, kind of the elephant in the room is that like they all have longer interviews where they go into detail. And the only appearance of Shatner in the documentary was taken while he was at some charity event. And it's not even so much a talking head as you can tell, like they get him after like it dismissed or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, going back to the 50 year mission, which Emmy mentioned, like the other crew members, the other cast members all talk about how they all hated him. Like (laughs) Leonard Nimoy and him only got along, you know, they got along here and there and they became friends like later in life. But, um, no, I mean, like, it's interesting to watch in this, especially when in that segment when uh, they ask all the fans, like, who's your favorite captain? And it's, like, very overwhelmingly, like, Captain Kirk is a figure in this yeah. fandom that just holds – that carries such water and carries such weight. And he's not really in this documentary he's at really all. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting – yes, it's interesting that he's not in this documentary. And, and it also just feels like there's just a, an interesting push and pull, it feels like, with him and the and the – the franchise and with the series. There's no question, obviously, that he uh, – the only other thing I can even associate him with truly is Boston Public or yeah. Boston Legal or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, T.J. Hooker. Oh, also, uh, I forget T.J. Hooker. Priceline. Yeah, of res- course. Uh, Rescue 911. Okay. I was such a Star Trek fan as a kid that I did watch T.J. Hooker reruns with my mom really? and I obsessively watched Rescue 911. That's fantastic. I love it. Shatner would love to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Shatner is just an interesting guy. Uh, I, I, and I, I don't say that, I really don't say that disparagingly. I just, I think it's watching his clips and thinking about him in this just you know, obviously made me think about Galaxy Quest. And, and it does feel like they are emulating mm-hmm. the tensions between oh, the yeah. cast and him in that movie. Well, and Justin Long to, feels so much like the kid in this documentary. Yes. Uh, yeah. Of just like what it means to be a fandom and or, or what yeah. it means to be a fan and really look into the blueprints of the ship and yeah. questioning, like, mm-hmm. how do you get to 10 Ford if you're at the, yeah. you know, captain's yacht? <laughs> yeah. it's, um, the captain's yacht is a real place. It is. I, I know and that. 10 Ford is uh, the bar. So, um, what I was the, the the last guy that they kind of focus on is this guy who seems to be sort of building things. Oh yeah, he's building <laughs> Captain Pike's chair. He's building, oh yes. yeah, well, like I thought that was like it was interesting too because they talk about like oh the way Star Trek has influenced science and engineering, yeah. and I was like oh cool, so they're going to talk about how like you know flip cell phones were clearly based on like old communicators or all the many. The, the countless ways Star Trek nope. actually impacted science. And they're like, so here's a guy in the middle of nowhere <laughs> who's an engineer. And he starts talking about what he's doing. And he's like, oh. yeah, my friends had uh, – what was it? Like my friends had pictures of Farrah Fawcett on their walls yeah. growing up. I didn't – I had pictures of Star Trek. And then it cuts to his wall and it's a picture of Captain Pike who's like scarred and elderly. And like he just looks kind of horrific. It's yeah, a it's picture awful. from the cage. Mm-hmm. And um, – or sorry, the menagerie. Um and then it goes into him saying like, yeah, this is Captain Pike in the menagerie. He's in a uh, – he's confined to a moving wheelchair and he can't speak. So he communicates through this light and this buzzer which blinks once for yes and twice for no. And then 
I was like, okay, so he's making a thing. And then he comes out in it. Yeah, it's and crazy. It's, like, it's amazing. It, and then he's oh, writing it down the street. Yeah, it's really, it's it was, uh, yeah. yeah it's, the, the part that I loved mm-hmm. was when he went to Radio Shack and yes. he's talking to the guy. <laughs> oh, and the and that guy is like, clearly what did the not, fuck yeah. is happening? That man was he not keeps having looking it. at the camera. <laughs> yeah. With he his military say, buzz cut. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. And he walked, like, the guy's like, so I was thinking, I'm trying to do this, this, and this, and do you think I need this, or do you think I need this? It just cuts the guy who, like, does a side eye and then cuts away way it's yeah. fantastic yeah. there, there is so really good stuff. yeah there's so many great uh like peripheral characters i almost think of them <laughs> yeah. like that in this like when the klingon uh the klingon crew goes to the carl's jr and they yes, yes after yes. they meet up uh, for the convention and they all like storm into the carl's jr <laughs> well they don't storm in they walk in very walk politely in. and kindly um and then they but, ask uh, have you ever served anyone yeah they ask the, they ask the, uh, the cashiers they're like have you ever served any klingons and they're like uh yeah like, you know, um, like uh, it's great it's just so charming yeah it's really i mean it's, that's what I would say about this whole movie is that it is charming. It does feel like a love letter, despite sometimes mm-hmm. feeling a little bit prickly or a little bit sort of a little mockingly towards mm-hmm. some things. It does feel like a love letter towards their fans. And, and, and it is from the fact that, that the, that Denise is the sort of the face of this mm-hmm. thing helps too, in terms of just getting people to you're, you feel like you're getting the real from these people, that these people are definitely, uh, enamored with her and enamored with the series and, and she's getting them to open up in a way that perhaps other documentarians mm-hmm. might not. Um, and, and it does feel, it feels again, like a Valentine. It doesn't feel like they're trying to be shitty towards anybody. There's like an earnest quality to yeah. it. Yeah. Just uh, earnest in the fans themselves. Totally. Being really open, but also earnest in the way it's filmed. Yeah. No, absolutely. So did you guys see this in 99? No. No. Had you seen this before? No. Also no. Really? I, I had heard a lot about it. I mean, it's I'm to the point that genuinely it's, surprised. it's difficult to find. Also, I was in the Middle East in the 90s, so like, we didn't see anything. Uh, so we certainly didn't see Trekkies. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing about it and being a little skeptical and thinking like it was going to potentially like look down its nose at Trek fans. Right. Just like the calling it Trekkies in 99, mm. it was a term right. that I was generally like called a Trekkie by people who meant it derisively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fight. <laughs> no, Phil. Much like Captain Picard would, I find a rational solution. I pull all my best friends into my ready room, and I have to say, "What's we right, gonna do with this? Yeah, what are we gonna do? Yeah. This man made fun of me for liking Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Let's go around the room, Mark. What do you it's reasonable. think? It's reasonable. Uh, so neither of you. I'm genuinely surprised that neither of you had seen this up until yeah. this point. So, so no. you, so fresh eyes on this. Yeah. Um. So I did see this in '99. Mm-hmm. Uh. I, I want to say that I rented it from either a video store that I was working at or or frequented, whatever the case might be. But mm-hmm. I, do, I do remember seeing it uh, and liking it and thinking it was funny. And, and again, like, I keep thinking about, like, your uh, mockumentaries that were sort of coming out mm-hmm. around the same time. So you had Waiting for Guffman. You had sort of the, the, the Chris Guest stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so – and I, I want to – I don't remember when the British office started. I think it was in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken, but maybe I'm wrong. Thanks. Um, but my my point is more that I saw it sort of through the lens of uh, I can't believe these people are real sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed it nonetheless and didn't feel like it was a uh, it was being shitty towards them. But um, so I did like it back then. Um, but do you guys feel like how would you do you think you would have felt about it if you had watched it in ninety nine? I think it fans. would have hurt my feelings to right. be honest. Yeah, I I think at the time like. Yeah, it just felt uh, like it was putting us putting Trekkies under a microscope in a way that like 
I don't know the again the temperature at the time like the climate for nerdy fandom was mm-hmm. a lot different than it is now. Like I I still remember as a kid like in a department store the first time I ever saw like trekkies in the wild other than like me and my parents mm-hmm. which is to say well i mean which is to say like they i remember like we were like walking around like a caldor or something in connecticut and uh there was a i believe a husband and wife and they were in full tng uniforms just walking around and like as a kid i was just like what you know i, I found it sure. so fascinating um because i had heard of conventions and i had like you know seen photos in magazines but like i had never seen anybody walking around in like these very accurate uniforms and i remember you know i remember just kind of like spectating on them from afar like it was a you know a very nerdy anthropological thing yeah mm-hmm. um yeah i could see that yeah but even then i remember like my parents who loved star trek mind you they were like oh yeah no no you don't need to don't don't do that like you don't want to, you know that was just the climate it was like oh it's nice that those people are walking around it's nice that they like it but like yeah you shouldn't do that that, yeah, okay, yeah. so you think that you think it would have you think you had you watched in ninety nine you would so how old were you in ninety nine? Uh, fourteen, thirteen. Right, so a little bit a little bit more sensitive like, to yeah, that. Yeah, yes. being insecure about you know yeah. liking anything that wasn't cool or normal right. or mm-hmm. popular. Certainly, yeah, it, you know, and, and associating it with like family time and like. I, get that. I was trying to be a cool kid and not let people know that I was into Lord of the Rings and stuff. I did in watching this, I did think back uh my this girl in my high school invited me over to Bilbo Baggins' birthday party uh right before Lord of the Rings came out. And and I remember even that being like, you know, and she dressed up for it and I didn't dress up, but like I attended and being like Oh, I can't tell anybody else that I was here. <laughs> I will be judged. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I think there was like only like 10 of us that came uh, to the party. And yeah, yeah. You know, you, oh, you feel sensitive okay. about that stuff. So I think if I had watched this documentary kind of mocking some of the people that like I would have associated with, I would have felt bad. But now watching it, I'm like. This is so cool. I love going to Star Trek Vegas. Like, that was awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool artifact and, like, showing just how things were at that time and, like, mm-hmm. how into it some of these people were. Like, it was really fun and kind of heartwarming to watch. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. It's a shame that coronavirus is going to ruin conventions forever. I know. We're going to go to them again. But, you know, at least we had them while we had them, we right? We did. We did. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to rate this movie? Do you remember – you want to sort of pre-podcast give this a movie a rating? Have we done – you don't know oh, what this no, is? No, oh, no, no, because I've okay. only done the TV show with Right. You. So what we do on this podcast is we rate the movies from zero to 99. Zero being the lowest, <laughs> 99 being the highest. Okay, okay. Uh, 50% being the threshold with which to recommend mm. this. Mm. Generally speaking, we rate it – if you've seen it in 99, which I have, I will give mm-hmm. it a rating in 99. Then we do a rating before we recorded this podcast mm-hmm. and then a rating after it as though oh perhaps God, the podcast so much math. might have – changed your rating okay which more times than not it doesn't really but yeah. we just put it in there just to for whatever so i'll go first mm-hmm. uh in 99 um i think i would have given this a 70 um like i liked it uh I, I you know it wasn't it didn't change my my world but but i enjoyed it um you know so i think now or before the podcast i'd give it a 72 it went up in my esteem but two also felt points. like two whole points but i also feel like it didn't necessarily um it was all the things that we're talking about which Mm -hmm. is that it felt short it felt a little cursory it felt like at times it wasn't really digging into into this fandom or into fandom in general and i'm kind of holding at a 72 quite honestly like it hasn't really changed one way or the other but that's That's fair please whoever wants to go first i'd give it an 86 oh shit okay before and after yeah okay wow i got a solid b 
Yeah, no, that's yeah. yeah. I'd say like especially the people I know who work in the Trek universe now and people who enjoy Trek, I would recommend. I uh, I, I feel like my parents who love Star Trek too. I feel like it. They, I don't think they would enjoy it as much. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, my mom loves Star Trek. It is her like comfort food. Uh, when we went to our first Comic Con, we immediately found the Klingons, and I have so many adorable pictures of her standing next to her first Klingon. That's adorable. Yeah. So I don't know if like some of the the attitude that this mm-hmm. documentary takes towards people like that. I don't necessarily know if I would recommend it to her. I hear that. But uh, yeah, an eighty six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd give it like a solid eighty. Um, okay. It. Uh, I don't know. It's really charming. It is. Um, even though, like, I kind of left it wishing truthfully like yeah the hbo example like i wish it was longer i wish it had been able to go more in depth into some of these things because i think they they you know there's so much good stuff you can get to i just also i wanted to see more about mr Janeway. yeah you know i could have used another 10 minutes of uh data and tasha yar uh i said this off the pod but mistress Janeway available on amazon did do you have any? Do I do. You, can, I you, do. can you give us a little bit of just a taste? I'm gonna give a taste. Just a a yeah. little taste. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would have to wait for my first opportunity to approach Mr. Kim, but I was presented with it at the end of the meeting. I was reading over the reports left with me as my staff filed out. Then I noticed Mr. Kim remained nervously shuffling his things, waiting for my attention. I glanced up, and he asked for permission to speak to me for a moment. I always adored that in him, I realized. He was already fairly well-trained. Perhaps the whip wouldn't be necessary on him. Wow. So again, we need an episode <laughs> need going yeah, deeper yeah, yeah. into all of this. Yeah. Yes. Um, wow. No, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Your face right now. <laughs> I just... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. I'll do the audiobook for no, it, no, too. No. That's... I mean, right. listen, I appreciate fan fiction mm-hmm. i really mm-hmm. do i think that it's it's a it's a it's a tremendous thing it, it is. really yeah. is and and you know that level of engagement people love loving the characters as much as they do I think mm-hmm. that, 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 that stuff sounds great yeah so like one hour about this mm-hmm. um you know that you can end this miniseries with gabriel's fan fiction movie i uh-huh. truthfully wanted to see it at the end i, I thought it was yeah, so charming too. that he like especially in 99 seeing these like yes. computer generated stuff the, you know graphics and mm-hmm. ships he designed all i could think is like in 99 on a home PC, that must have been a hell of a lot of work. Oh, my yeah. God. I can't um, even imagine. And I just found all that so charming. So, yeah, I, I wanted to see so much more of that stuff. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously a good thing if you leave a movie wanting, wishing for more. Yeah, yeah. I guess we should watch the second one. I mean, But maybe. it didn't come out in 1999. No, so. but I just mean, like, we as in humans. Okay. Yeah, the three of us fair. could watch fair. it sometime. That's okay, fair. I'd be yeah. good for watching yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you both for being here. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Come this back. has been a lot of fun. I would come back. We'll both come back. Yeah. We'll find another yeah. movie. We'll Why find not? some we TV shows. We still need to talk about 13th Warrior. We do need to talk about The best <laughs> movie of 1999. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. The first movie I saw a fist fight break out in. What? First of all, first? I mean, have you, you s- know the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, that makes it sound like you and I got in a fist fight. No. <laughs> Phil and I just witnessed a fist fight in, in a movie, which oddly, near empty theater, which made it all the crazier. Yeah. Yeah. But um, 13th Warrior, you really think it's the best movie of 1999? Sure. I'll say that. You haven't seen a lot of movies that came out in 99, though. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> double down. I like just the I very will. quick, like, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, you still need to come up for Wing Commander. That's well, still happening. Obviously, yeah, yeah. The, the threat of Wing Commander being unleashed <laughs> upon your listeners. Happening. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for th- both for coming on. Yeah. And, thank you. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Please rate, review, subscribe. Um, and watch Lower Decks when it comes out in fall of 2020 on CPS yeah. All Access. It'll will- probably be available on YouTube as well. Because I think that's we're like premiering the first episode okay. available everywhere in case you don't have CBS All Access. Gonna, and then you'll buy CBS All Access and you'll just have Star Trek for life. I'm going to go down a limb and say you'll probably be on again before it's on in the fall since it's – we also might be quarantined. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. This might be the last this time I see you. This, this is true. true. Uh, please watch Lower Decks when it premieres in the fall in various Lower forms. Decks. Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Live long and prosper. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.